let me ask you a question. When you think about God, what, what words come to mind for you? Is it words like love and mercy and, and holiness and power? Or maybe you focus more on words, especially in your own mind, like justice and punishment, guilt, fear. You know a word that I, that I wish would come to mind for you? It's the word grace. The reality is you're a sinner, I'm a sinner, we're all hopelessly lost. And then God stepped in, he sent his son Jesus, and he miraculously rescued us. God saves us by his grace. We talked about this last week, Ephesians 2.8. It is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And we kind of unpacked last week this message through the book of Romans. And I want to be honest with you, if you missed last week, I'm not saying it's the greatest message in the world, but the topic was so important. If you missed it, I would really challenge you to go back, go to our YouTube channel, um, Nelson Christian Church, Bardstown, and check out that message because I think that it's just so foundational. It's so very, very important. Grace is what, what saves us. Every one of us. It is the undeserved, unmerited, unearned favor of God that he shows to us. But the problem with attaching a definition to something as amazing as grace is that we can run the risk of diminishing it in the process. It starts to kind of lose its wonder a little bit. One author said it this way, grace can be dissected like a frog, but it dies in the process. Right? All we do is examine it, and we don't experience it. We've missed the point. Another author said that grace can only be understood when it collides with your life. Friends, grace is what offers us a brand new start. Right? It is God's favor beyond all that we could ask or imagine. Now, do we still have problems? Of course we do. Right? Are, are there still people who suffer in this world, including us and our families? Yes. Does God make your life easy just because you become a Christian? Not at all. But grace is, is God's expression of love to us. It's his favor that is upon us. However, once we've been saved by grace, we're not finished with grace. Grace is not a one and done kind of a situation. His grace is ongoing. His transforming grace presence in our lives is his grace as well. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15 10 that God's grace to me was not without effect. It was not without effect. Our sins are forgiven. We're wiped clean, washed clean. No more guilt, no more shame, no more fear of death and fear of hell. But God doesn't just save us with grace. He transforms us by his grace. Grace is like this agent of change that works in us. And it is, as Paul said, not without effect. Now, it's true that in one sense, there are only two kinds of people in the world. Okay? There are saved people and there are lost people. There are people who belong to Christ and people who do not. Every person on earth falls into one of those two categories. But when it comes to transformation, man, we are all at different stages. We are all at different steps in the process. This whole idea of transformation is going to look different with everybody. My, my path is different than your path. No two people journey the exact same path because none of us are exactly alike. 
It, it, it's, it's sort of like when you're, when you're getting into shape. Right? Everybody's path is a little bit different. Everybody's starting point is a little bit different. You're going to have different exercises that you need to do based upon your body type, based upon weaknesses, based upon needs that you have. So, so don't miss this. Grace doesn't just save us. Grace changes us. And it's a process. In fact, my bottom line for today, just very simply, is that salvation is immediate. Transformation takes a lifetime. Okay? Salvation is immediate. Transformation takes a lifetime. Listen to what Paul wrote in Titus 2.11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all mankind. Salvation is this immediate, instantaneous experience when our lives collide with God's grace. But then Paul goes on to say in verse 12, grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age. Grace brings us salvation, but grace also teaches us to say no to ungodliness and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives. Transformation is a lifelong process. It's a growth process, right? It is a learning process. If you've been a Christian for any amount of time at all, you know how this works, right? Just because you accepted Christ as Lord and Savior, that does not mean that you automatically stopped having worldly desires, stopped battling your sinful human nature, right? Money may still mean too much to you. Lust may still have you in its grip. Your temper might still get the best of you sometimes. There might be days when you put your needs ahead of everybody else's needs. You might find yourself sometimes slipping into a gossip kind of conversation or, or bending the truth to make yourself look better. Right? We're saved by grace. That's an immediate thing. Transformation is a lifelong process. Listen to what Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. He said, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength that he considered me faithful and appointed me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. Here's our word. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Now, do you remember Paul's story? We talked about him back in October. He was known as Saul before his conversion. He was a leader in the Jewish community. He was a scholar. He was a Pharisee. He was also an enemy of Jesus and all the followers of Jesus. When some of the Jewish people, a number of them, began to kind of leave their Jewish roots behind and, and pursue Christ, they began to convert the Bible says that Saul began breathing out murderous threats against the followers of Christ. That's what the book of Acts says. In fact, he was so determined to silence the disciples that he was on his way from Jerusalem, where he lived, to Damascus because he wanted to throw more people in prison. But then it says in Acts 9.3, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground. He heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And that singular event, that encounter with Christ, led to Saul's conversion. In fact, he told that story two more times in the book of Acts, and it's my opinion that he probably told that story all over the known world. Every time he went somewhere, every time he planted a church, he wanted them to know 
what had happened in his life. And he, he was on his way to Damascus as a persecutor of Christians, an enemy of Christ. He got to Damascus and became a Christian. I mean, this is, this is crazy. He went from being lost to being saved in as about a dramatic way as you can possibly imagine. His life collided with grace in this dynamic way, and he was never the same. But I think kind of the catch here with Paul's life is that we often see it as one of two extremes. Either we think of Paul before his conversion as this violent angry persecutor of Christians, or we think of Paul late in life as one of the greatest missionaries, one of the greatest Christians of all time. We either think about his murderous threats from Acts 9, or we think about him at the end of 2 Timothy where he says, I fought the good fight, I finished the race, I've kept the faith, now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness. And friends, it's like those are the two bookends of Paul's life. But so much happens in between so much in some ways his transformation was immediate he went from persecuting Christians to being a Christian and it's just hard to imagine how dramatic a turnaround that was it would seriously be like Adolf Hitler becoming a Jew I mean this was just crazy that he came to Christ but when it comes to his personality his identity his natural tendencies well there was some work to do and if you study Paul's life, I think you'll see that. Remember, salvation is immediate. Transformation takes a lifetime. And I think it did for Paul. I mean, it starts with knowledge. He had some knowledge that he needed to grow in. We think about Paul being this brilliant scholar. He wrote about half the New Testament. But God did not just open up his brain and dump in all this information the moment that he came to Christ. It wasn't like you know a flash drive was plugged in and they downloaded all the information. No, no, no. Paul said something really fascinating in Galatians 1.11. He said, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not something that man made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Listen, rather, he said, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. In some miraculous way, Jesus taught Paul the gospel. He went on in verse 15 of Galatians 1. When God, who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not consult any man, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was. I went immediately into Arabia and later returned to Damascus. After three years, I went to Jerusalem. Apparently, Paul left Damascus after his conversion. He spent three years out of the spotlight in Arabia, presumably. Jesus instructed him. God shaped him through that time of isolation. Now, when you become a Christian, it's not very likely that you're going to spend three years in Arabia with Jesus. I mean, flights to Arabia cost a fortune, right? That's not going to be your path, I'm guessing. But the truth is, new Christians have a lot to learn, just like Paul did. It is silly for us to expect that to happen overnight to somebody else or to ourselves. Learning is a lifelong process. When we stop learning, we stop growing. Man, I think about Gail's dad, my father-in-law, Dr. Lewis Foster. He was one of the most brilliant men I've ever met. 
He was a New Testament scholar, a Greek scholar. He had degrees, PhDs from Harvard and from Yale. He helped translate the New International Version of the Bible. He translated the Gospel of Luke in the New King James Version of the Bible. Man, he forgot more than I will ever know. And I can remember being in my 20s and him sitting in the audience taking notes while I preached. Now, he might have been writing, Betty, why did we let him marry our daughter? I mean, I'm not sure exactly what he was writing, but he paid attention. He always was learning, always. And we all are because we are lifelong learners if we choose to be. When we stop growing, we stop learning, our faith begins to wither. You can't just stand still. And so Paul said that God reveals his son to us by his grace. Now, Paul also had some things to learn when it came to discretion or to tact. After his time in Arabia, Paul went to Jerusalem, and he immediately started arguing and debating with the Jewish leaders. And at that time, he had learned a lot about Jesus, but his zeal was kind of over the top. And, and people were amazed by his conversion, but it did not take long for the Jews to decide they wanted to shut him up. And so Acts 9.28 says, Saul spoke boldly in the name of the Lord, and he talked and debated with the Grecian Jews, but they tried to kill him. And when, listen to this, this is great. When the brothers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea, sent him off to Tarsus, and then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. I think that's hilarious. Saul was out preaching, and he's stirring up everything. He gets threatened. He leaves town, and everybody goes, oh, my gosh. Things are so much more quiet now, you know? And I've seen this, haven't you? Everything's all stirred up and chaotic, and maybe it's at work, or it's on a sports team, or it's at church, and then somebody leaves, and all of a sudden, everything gets calm again. It's what we call, in some circles, blessed subtractions, Okay. In the early days, that was kind of Paul. He had a lot to learn about sharing the gospel in a compelling way. Now, granted, he was opposed throughout his ministry, but he was not always abrasive. Okay, his transformation took some time, and maybe, maybe you can relate to that. I think often the older a person is when they come to Christ, sometimes the more refining that needs to take place. Now, some unbelievers are just such good people. They're just such kind, wonderful people. They come to Christ, you hardly notice a difference. But then, man, I've known some people, they came to Jesus, and I mean everything needed to change. Everything. There was just so much. No matter where we are in our maturity level, spiritually speaking, we all have some areas that need work. So in a general sense, I think it's fair to say about Paul that his character needed some shaping as well. He wrote in Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit in us, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now let me ask you something. Do you think when you immediately become a Christian that God just sort of dumps all of those characteristics into your life automatically. That all of a sudden there's no problem with love, joy, peace, patience, etc. because God's just given you all that stuff. I don't think so. Knowing Paul's personality, I'm guessing that some of those areas needed some work. And maybe you would say that that's the way it works for you too. I think the reason that Paul used fruit 
as the example of these spiritual blessings and gifts from God is because fruit has to be grown. Right? Maybe you plant a seed, a tree comes up. It might be several seasons before anything happens. You might have to do some pruning to that tree first. And I think that when Paul suggests here about the fruit of the Spirit, what happens is that the Holy Spirit, when we come to Christ, plants seeds of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control in us. And then they have to start to grow. And we can nurture that growth or we can impede that growth. For some people, it happens really quickly. For other people, it takes a long time. Don't give up if you're struggling in one or more of these areas. Salvation is immediate. Transformation takes a lifetime. But we're transformed by God's grace. Now, humility was something else that Paul grew in. I heard this in a sermon uh, years ago now, probably back in Bible college. I thought it was so cool. Back in A.D. 54, Paul wrote his first letter to the church in Corinth. 1 Corinthians 15, 9, he said, I am the least of the apostles. Now, six years later, he wrote to the church in Ephesus, and he said, although I am less than the least of all God's people, grace was given to me. And then in A.D. 64, he wrote 1 Timothy 1.15. He said, I'm the worst of sinners. He went from I'm the least of the apostles to I am less than the least of all God's people to I'm just the worst sinner in the world. And I don't look at this like, boy, he's got a self-image problem. He needs counseling. No, no, I think this is like a, just a, a, a reality check. It's like he just realized how much he, how, how much he needs God's grace. How, how far he was from being like Christ. Humility is a growth process. It takes some time. Now, still further, Paul had to grow in his contentment. And a lot of us know what that's like. Paul said in Philippians 4.11, I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Now, what that says to me when he says I've learned to be content, that says he didn't start out that way. This is something that he had to learn over time right? It was a discipline. He had to pursue it. He had to cultivate it. Now, would, wouldn't you agree that contentment is not natural in our culture today? I mean, people want to steal our contentment all over the place. Advertisers, their goal is to convince you that you could not possibly be happy until you drive their car, you use their shampoo, you pick up dirt with their vacuum cleaner, or you clean your toilet with their bowl cleaner. How could you possibly be happy until you do that? Social media influencers thrive on your dissatisfaction. You're never going to look as good as they do. You're never going to dress as well as they do. You're never going to live as exciting a life as they do. And it's all about discontentment. And yet we choose to be content. It is a discipline that has to be cultivated. And God's grace can help. Paul even had to learn some lessons about forgiveness. Look, when he and Barnabas set off on their first missionary journey, they took Barnabas, Barnabas's cousin, John Mark, along with them. Later on, Mark bailed on them. He went back home to Jerusalem. And so when Paul and Barnabas got home later, and they're getting ready for the second missionary journey, Barnabas says, hey, let's give Mark a second chance. And Paul's like, not on your life. He bailed on us. He is never going with us again. And, and Paul was holding a grudge here. 
Mark's just not trustworthy. It says in Acts 15, 39, they, being Paul and Barnabas, had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, and Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. Paul just didn't really have a forgiving spirit. Maybe that was something that needed some work. And, and, and it got better. Later in life, Paul is languishing in a Roman prison. And we talked about this. He writes to Timothy, please come, come see me, Timothy. My time is short. Then he says in 2 Timothy 4.11, oh yeah, get Mark and bring him with you because he's helpful to me in my ministry. Something happened where Paul forgave Mark. Mark became a partner with him in ministry. And I just show you this to say that things like character and humility and forgiveness and tact that these are areas that, that Paul needed to grow in. And there must have been more areas as well. Now, why do I say that? Because he's a bad person? No, he's human. And he also happened to be intense. And when you put those two things together, sometimes it can be kind of tricky. I wanted you to see those examples to drive home the point that transformation does not happen overnight. If your life is a mess, get in line. We all are a mess. Salvation is immediate. Transformation takes a lifetime. And that transformation only comes by God's grace. His amazing love, his compassion, patience, his faithfulness. That he molds us like a potter. He chips away at us until we become who we're called to be. Now let me say a couple more things about transforming grace. And then we're going to wrap up. Okay, For one thing. It's always easier to see change in others more than in ourselves. If you are frustrated with your lack of progress, and maybe you just feel bad about yourself all the time, maybe talk to some people who know you pretty well, who've known you for a while. Ask them if they are seeing any changes in you, if maybe there's some blind spots that they think need some work. But also, do not assume, number two, that grace is an excuse to keep on sinning. Don't hear me saying, I don't worry about spiritual growth or taking responsibility. Just do what you want. God's going to clean up the mess. Now, the book of Jude in the New Testament tells us that there are those who will teach that God's grace is a license for immorality. Oh, just do whatever you want. It's God's job to forgive. And Paul calls those kinds of people godless men who are condemned. Grace is not an excuse for sin. It provides a way out when we stumble into sin. But the Christian life is not about playing the system. We're trying to be Christ-like. And it's a growth process. Now, a third thing here is that some Christians are motivated to change out of fear or guilt. And truthfully, some churches capitalize on this. Instead of grace, they just want to kind of scare you to death. And that's not... It's not all bad, right? Jesus raised the bar really high. He spoke often about hell. He said some really hard things, and his expectations are no joke. But while fear and guilt might change your behavior, they don't really transform us. I might slow down on the road when I see a police officer, but I'm a speeder in my heart. Maybe. I'm just saying, for instance, hypothetically. Okay, a, a man might not have an affair because he's afraid his wife would find out or it would really mess up his life, but he, he might be committing adultery in his heart every day, right? When we prioritize rules more than our relationship with the Lord, we're kind of missing the point of grace. We don't just pursue a transformed life 
because we're afraid of what God might do to us. We pursue a transformed life because we love him so much, because we're so grateful for what Christ has done. We, we want to live a holy life out of gratitude, out of devotion. So, so let me say this, man, if you feel like a failure today and you're kind of disgusted with yourself because you can't seem to get on top of your emotions or your thoughts or, or your actions, man, don't give up. Right? If, you're, if you truly desire to be Christ-like, you're probably making better progress than you think. And God is patient, he's loving, he's compassionate, he's quick to forgive. His transforming grace is going to be a process in your life over time. And it takes a lifetime. However, if you've been a Christian for two or three years or more and nothing has changed in your life, Nothing at all. I mean, you're deep down just as selfish, just as lustful, just as arrogant and greedy as you were before. Man, something's wrong. That is concern that you're abusing God's grace. We need to focus our minds and hearts on the kind of changes that God wants to cultivate in us. Remember the verse that Clay read a few weeks ago, Romans 12 2. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's a command. Don't conform, be transformed. Salvation is immediate, transformation takes a lifetime. As I was preparing this message, I looked up how many times the word grace is used in the Bible. And in the New International Version, it's 125 times. 82 of those were by Paul. Out of the whole Bible, two-thirds of the times the word grace is used is from Paul. And it just kind of makes you think. He understood. He understood how badly he needed it and how badly the rest of us need it. Man, I was raised in a Christian home. I grew up hearing about Jesus and loving Jesus. When I was a little boy, I got my dollar a week allowance in dimes so I could learn how to tithe. And I mean, Christianity is all I've known. But when I was in high school, I mean, I was a leader in the youth group. I preached my first sermon when I was 13 years old. I was going to Bible college. I was going to be a preacher. I knew all that. But it was really easy to live a double life and to be one person at church and to be another person everywhere else. And I'd like to say, well, yeah, I outgrew all that. I went off to Bible college and became the pillar of faith and purity that I am today. But man, I've had some train wrecks in my life and I've had a lot of ups and a lot of downs because while saving grace can happen just like that, transforming grace takes a lifetime. And I look at myself in the mirror sometimes and I think, man, it's taken a long time. But that's the beauty of grace is that God does not give up on us. Let's pray. God, we thank you that in spite of our own foolishness and rebellion and stubbornness and sin, that your grace is so big. We dare not abuse your grace. We don't want to make a mockery of your grace. But we cling to it in the times when we fail. And we thank you that you pick us up, dust us off, and let us start over again every day. Help us, God, to be the people that you've called us to be. Help us to, to be people of faith, people of grace, people of purity and obedience, truth. And in those times when we fail, thank you, Jesus, 
that you love us so much and you are so quick to forgive. We want to honor you today and we just thank you for this opportunity to be together. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.